to shaken and disturbed. By the way, we like that. Speaking <laughs> of speaking of your voice, did you know there's a Lord of it's the like Rings uh, trilogy or uh, show coming to Amazon? Oh, that's gonna be a show I never watch. <laughs> that's funny. Same. I never got into Lord oh. of the Rings. I don't know why. I, you know, I I, I watched one. Okay. I think it was the first one. Yeah. With a an a, a boyfriend of mine, which just goes to I think <laughs> I was fourteen. <laughs> Um, Throwback. Huh. Uh, talk about making me gay. Am I right? Watch <laughs> Lord of the Rings when you're 14, ladies. Um, oh my god! And I never went back, and I yeah. never read any of them, and I never read The Hobbit or anything like that. But I like Elijah Wood. Much, much like dudes, you know, you 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 tried that and you never went back. So there you go. Went a little bit there, just didn't finish the trilogy. <laughs> That's right, just didn't finish it. There's three of them, right? I think There's I've said, yeah, something like that. I don't know. But uh, speaking of Elijah Wood, I think I've mentioned this he is so beautiful in person now listen he's tiny man he's tiny that's true he's pocket-sized tiny that's true 10 years ago went to comic-con my first ever comic-con this was in san diego and i'm not even a huge elijah wood fan i have I, i i'm sure we've talked about this but not a huge elijah wood fan not because i don't like him i just don't follow much of what he's done and I saw him at a panel and I was like, oh, let me run over here and like get a quick signature, which, by the way, now I'm thinking of it. Like, where is that? I don't know. But I walked I up like to what him. Happened to that, but... Yeah, whatever happened to that. But I walked up to him and I was like stunned at how handsome and beautiful he is. His eyes he are really crystal is blue. A good, really good looking guy. Yeah, yeah, really good is. looking guy. He, so unconnected, um, disconnected. He got shit-faced on a Watch It Happens Live. Um, I want to say it was with Jack K. Harry, but I could be confusing it. It was like Elijah Wood and someone else. Oh. I could, I, Jack K. Harry was definitely iconic, but it was like Elijah Wood. Yeah. And he got so drunk, and it was one of the funniest, sweetest things you ever did see. Like, <laughs> it, it was, like, adorable. But the reason I love Elijah Wood yeah. is from two movies that I watched when I was a kid. I, I want to see if you've seen Can I guess them. them? Yes. Okay. Obviously, The Good Son. No. No. Never seen. Never saw it. <gasps> oh. Oh my oh. God. Okay. Oh. What are your All two? Right. Podcast we'll, ended. We'll come back to okay. the good son in a second because it is Any true other crime guesses? related. Well, what else was he in? I'm sure I can think. I I can't think off the top of my head what else he was in. Deep Impact. He was in Deep Impact. Sweetie. I loved Deep Sweetie. Impact, but I was a kid. He, he was the main guy. Well, I was a kid. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention at that time. But okay, didn't realize that. I love Deep Impact. Do you remember the movie? And it was kind of dark, but it was also like, whatever, a radio flyer. Never watched it, but I know what you're talking about. Yes. He was like, had like kind of an abusive father. And then he took his brother and they like escaped on their radio flyer. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Wagon. Are those the two? Those are the two. Okay. Two. I, I want to confess good son something. I've never seen. Well, first of all, The Good Son is with um, Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin. And I believe their mother is Sally Fields, I think. And basically, Macaulay Culkin is like um, this evil, terrible child. And Elijah Wood is like the good son. And something happens. I don't want to spoil it because it's actually such a good ending where the mother is holding on to two of them on the side of a cliff and has to choose which one to let go of because one of them is an evil, terrible child and the other isn't. 
and you will be just you will be surprised at which one she lets go let's just put it that way Oh, yeah. Elijah Wood, Macaulay Culkin, the good son, coming soon to a theater near you. Very Anyways, interesting. Well, well, we got we have a lot to get there's through. There's a lot happening. Yeah. We go transcend. What are you drinking today before we get into this case? I'm drinking my whiskey, coffee whiskey in my coffee. It is, uh, you know, uh, later in the evening here where I'm recording. And I don't have pickleball for a change or tennis, Darren. So I'm. So you indulging. can get a little crunk. I'm turning up. Okay. On today's show, I'm having a exotic, Ooh. special Ooh. Sierra Nevada beer. Oh. Everyone, a Sierra Nevada beer. Yes, oh my dear. Um, this is called cleaning out your fridge. <laughs> Although, shout out to my best friend Brian because Love my friend him. Brian got a promotion and it's his job, hey. and he bought me a bottle of alcohol to celebrate. Wow. Like he was like, got the promotion, bro. Here's a, it was huge. It's literally like a magnum of Grey Goose vodka. It's insane. Wow. And I was like, so you get promoted and I get a gift? And he was like, that's a good friend. Yeah, to celebrate. And I was like, oh, that's the way it should be because that incentivizes (laughs) me wanting my friends to do well. Yeah. Now, is this the Brian who just became a father? Yes, Congrats. and I am the, uh, godmother the godmother to his daughter, Mesa. What a yes, life, by the way. Bestie. You're getting, you're having kids, you're getting promoted. Things are looking up for this guy. You're buying your best friend's magnum of alcohol. I mean, what could be worse? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Well, speaking of getting worse, let's get into this worst case. <laughs> Great segue, Darren. Great segue. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so here's here's some interesting details for this week's episode. 47-year-old Cheryl Williams Lived with her 68-year-old mother, Carol, I'm thinking it's Barris, and her daughter... It's Barris. It could be Beret, but I think it's Barris. Okay, Barris. Just if it's like foreign, yeah. Let's it's see Barris. B-A-R-E-I-S, if you're wanting to look it up. And her daughter, Samantha, in Altamont Springs, Florida. So on June 17th, 2004, I had just graduated high school, Darren. you were. Ow, ow. I think you were a junior at this point. I was going into my junior year. Yeah. That's correct. So you're you graduated in 05, right? 06. 06. I'm two years younger than yeah. Okay, so maybe. then you were going into your yes, you just said that junior year. Never mind. Yeah. So anyway, um, wow, you're such a young a youngin. I didn't realize. Oh, stop! Oh, stop! <laughs> anyway, every time we do, we've known each other. We've know. recorded with each other for like a solid eight years, and I've known you for ten. And every time you're like, oh, I, I, it's just weird. it doesn't make sense in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, every part of our friendship took a minute, beginning with your last name, if you remember. Correct. For those who don't know or might have missed it, I used to think that Darren's last name was Carpenter. I have no idea why. Who shortens their last name, by the way? No one knows. Nobody on the planet? Okay, great. Nope. All right. Well, anyway, on June 17th, 2004, just before 9 a.m., Mark Van Sant arrived at his girlfriend, Samantha Williams' home. So now we're talking about Samantha here, the daughter. In the doorway of the home, Mark discovered a gruesome scene, the bodies of Samantha's mom, Cheryl Williams, and Grandma Carol Barris. Mark and Samantha had spent the previous night at his place, and after she had left for work early that morning, Mark swung by her house to pick up some clothes for her, and upon his arrival, he found Cheryl's lifeless body blocking the door. Mark, can you imagine this, by the way? Like, ugh, this is... No. I've always said this. I'm really nervous that... And I think I might have just said this in a recent episode. Like, I'm so nervous if I ever stumble upon a body like that because, yeah, especially just doing this show and working in true crime, I just don't know how I would how I would handle that. What what well, what, to what me, would like, you think? It would make me it would make me really 
Well, depending on obviously who it was, you know, yeah. like you have a different emotional reaction to it. But it kind of reminds me of a lot of, um, you know, true crime documentaries that we've seen, even war vets and their families, like when they get yes. that dreaded phone call yes. that their son or daughter or you know boyfriend girlfriend sister brother died that you or parent for that matter that a lot of people say that they have such ptsd from picking up the phone you know obviously because it's like that phone call you know like what's that what's on the other end of that line kind of thing and this makes me think of like i'd probably be scared to go into doorways depending on how yeah yeah yeah, exactly exactly i know and it's probably a reality that so many people even probably people listening have had to go through which is unfortunate Unfortunate, yeah. Well, Mark immediately alerted authorities to the scene. Crime scene investigators found that Cheryl had been stabbed. Are you ready for this? This is tragic. Approximately 129 times. With wounds, which, by the way, let's say, let's say this right now. That would be so hard. Yeah. That would be a physical feat. I mean, not to just... Like, hitting my fist against the table 129 times right. i would be out of breath out of yeah that. no totally i mean let alone going into bone and or skin and or tissue while like, someone's like probably being defensive too by the way you know trying to survive would, let's see yeah yeah and with wounds on her arms legs back chest hands and feet according to the medical examiner she had ultimately died of exsanguination which i'm not I'm a th- obviously blood blood related right out. like yeah. yeah bleeding to no death. yeah yeah you she let she uh she bled out yes she got bled it. out with 129 stab wounds I mean Ugh. if I had 129 paper cuts I would probably <laughs> that's out. true so, yeah let alone yeah well and as mentioned she had also received a number of defensive wounds to her arms hands and feet suggesting that Cheryl had violently fought against her attacker before succumbing which is what I was just sort of mentioning. Carol, who was partially paralyzed after having suffered from a prior stroke, had been stabbed twice. Oh, God. This is such hor- These are such horrible details here. So the, the mom was stabbed significantly more, more yeah. than Carol. Okay. And you wonder, the you know, especially rather. if Carol, um, who was paralyzed, you know, was it because she couldn't fight back and that's all it took? You know, like that's the kind of right. thing that's unfortunately you have to think of here. Well, one of the stab wounds, uh, I believe this was for Carol, was dealt to her back and the other was to her left ventricle. The latter, of course, proved to be fatal. Police found her actually still alive, laying on the living room floor near near her wheelchair, which is just horrific. Throughout the house, investigators found 67 bloody shoe prints, which I feel like would be more than enough to determine, you know, a very solid print, if nothing else. Investigator, yeah, investigators performed a sweep of the home and found a 10-inch kitchen knife covered in blood between the house and the next-door residence. Well, Samantha was contacted at work and notified of the situation, at which point she returned home. Imagine getting that call is kind of what I'm right. saying, like, let alone the gruesomeness of it. And right. once she arrived at the scene, she told police that she had a gut feeling that her mother's killer was a man who lived next door, a 24-year-old named Clemente Aguiar Harkin. Now, Clemente had moved to the U.S. from Honduras without a green card. He had fled his home country when a local gang had tried to strong-arm him into becoming a drug trafficker and gang member. Now, unfortunately, in Honduras and and these types of places, this is heavily still happening here. And, you know, we've seen a ton of migrants at least trying to get into the United States, at least going through Mexico from Honduras because the gangs there are kind of out of control. Like asylum, basically. uh, 
Yeah, the ex, because it's either you get you go in a gang or you get killed. Yeah. And then when you're part of the gang, of course, you're going to get killed. But uh, I don't know if you saw, but the ex-president, I think it was the ex-president of Honduras, just got arrested um, no. for, like, cocaine everything. Yeah, I believe oh, wow. it was the Honduran uh, president. I couldn't I'll look it up while long. you're... Um, yeah. Look it up, but yeah, uh, sure. but yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, Clemente now lived at 117 Vagabond Way with two roommates and worked at a restaurant cooking and washing dishes. At 11 a.m., police were arrived to 117 to question Clemente. He wasn't at home, so police asked his roommates about where they might find him, and his roommates just didn't know. However, later the same day, Clemente reached out to authorities himself and presented them with an odd story. Apparently, Clemente claimed he had been drinking the night before the murder and ran out of beer. It was already into the early morning, but the store nearby that sold beer wouldn't be open for another hour, so he decided to go next door to ask his neighbors for beer. He tried the door, found it unlocked, and when he went inside, he found Cheryl dead. Clemente then became frightened and fled, which, all if true, obviously that, you know, a fight or flight, yeah. that is a, an emotional response that people have. Police arrested Clemente on the spot for tampering with evidence from a crime scene. Now, again, hmm. if this is true and he went mm-hmm. next door for a cup of sugar, beer, him accidentally stumbling into the crime scene, you know, that's kind of, that's willful, that's ignorant on yeah. the cop's part. Because if this is true, innocent until proven guilty, he clearly was just walking into the house. You don't know it's a crime scene, obviously. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, there's a lot of weird, sussy little details here. I mean... What are the odds that you would just be needing beer, stopping by your next door neighbor's house, and oh, there's a dead body? I don't know about that. But yeah. that being and said, it was, Darren, by the way, the uh, ex-president of Honduras, by the way. That's right. I was just going to say yeah. Juan Orlando Sorry. Hernandez uh, was the former uh, president who was just two days ago, Darren. You're really up on the, the latest news. Um, My favorite doorman in this building is Honduran. Uh, he's a Honduran, yeah. and he was the one who actually broke the news to me. Oh, okay, so, so you're like, getting... Go upstairs right now yeah. and check it out. You're going to be shocked. <laughs> and so I kind of had an inside source there. That's amazing. Um, okay, so back to this story here. So following his arrest... By the way, his name's Clemente. I keep thinking of our friend Jim Clemente when I read this. Who, who was? Clemente. Yeah, who's a very popular in true crime shows, uh, for those who don't know. But anyway, following his arrest, police searched Clemente's home, not Jim Clemente, we should point out, where they found a plastic bag containing a full set of clothing, a t-shirt, shorts, socks, and underwear, all covered in blood. Not a good that's sign. Not a, that's not... That's not something you want to walk into on a first date no. and see. Oh, my God, no. That no. would be an immediate red flag, right? No. Like, for me, it might be a lot of, like, religious relics and maybe well, a bl- bag of clothes covered in blood. Like, those listen, could be the same for me. I might, being a true crime person, I might say, where's this from? Where, 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 how did this come <laughs> about? You know what I mean? Like, I might actually no, you, have some questions you being first. Ju- you being John Thrasher, the true crime yeah. podcast host, would be like, oh, my God, let me strip wash this for you. Yeah, I would do that. I saw You're this right. TikTok. I saw this TikTok. Oh, my God. Get yeah. some Epsom salt in a bathtub and we'll just clean that right up, sweetie. I think so. I think I might. Yeah. No, but I would at, very, at the let very Let me get least... my Roomba in here. Oh, don't even get me started on a Roomba. Think of all the <laughs> DNA samples in a Roomba. I don't know. I'm just throwing Yeah, Exactly. But, you know, I, listen, if I were to see a bloodstained everything like that, I would play along like, oh, that's okay. And then I would immediately, like, punch him and be like, no, yes. you are you are a killer yes. and I'm getting out of here. Um, or would I? Because then my DNA is on him. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things that go through my head. No, I, but there's a lot of steps. There's a lot yeah. of steps. 
Well, they also were able to find a set of shoes, the soles of which were also bloodstained. Investigators visited the restaurant where... Now, now remember, um, the, the Cheryl was murdered and died of blood loss. So there's going to be a lot of blood involved with whomever may have killed her. So, right. so far, this is adding up in a lot of uh, possibilities here. Investigators visited the restaurant where Clemente worked and spoke to the head chef who admitted that one of the kitchen's 10-inch knives was missing. The mm. knives kept in the restaurant kitchen appeared very similar to the one that was found uh, in between the two houses of these two neighbors. Nine days later, on June 25th, 2004, Clemente was indicted on charges of burglary and first-degree murder. His trial did not... but Because, by the way, right, if you're also, on top of all the bloodstains... You also have a knife that belonged in the kitchen where you worked in your house covered in blood. Listen, this couldn't be more straightforward if you ask me. But anyway. Yeah. Like I said, he was uh, indicted and charged uh, in 2004. His trial, however, did not begin until February of 2006. Have we ever talked about this? Like, what is the deal between being charged and trials happening? I know, like... Because yeah. the court schedules are insane. Well, that's you know? true. When There's they so only, much they're crime. They're only in session until... It's like a bank. Yeah. Like, they're only in session from, like, 11 to 2, Fair. half day a week. You know? So, like, these cases just are so backlogged. And everything just get it's a it's a terrible thing. I mean, I wish we sort of had an immediate I know. Uh, due process law, only because if that were the case, I feel like witnesses would be a lot better. You know, like exactly for that's Adnan Syed's case. Say. Even if even if he got retried, who the fuck remembers what happened on a Tuesday in nineteen ninety nine? Nineteen ninety nine. I know. Listen, I could probably tell you it was so, probably TRL and you know, and homework. You know, after school homework, but and Doug, yeah, yeah, and Doug and Rosie O'Donnell show absolutely. Anyway, during the testimony, the prosecution brought forth police officers, crime lab analysts, and medical personnel, all of whom gave evidence about the lacerations that Cheryl and Carol had suffered. According to the testimony presented, the stab wounds inflicted on both women were similar to those that would have been caused by one of the ten-inch knives found between. Uh, or rather, one of the 10-inch knife, there was only one, uh, found in yeah. between the two residences. The knife contained blood belonging to both Cheryl and Carol. It was determined that Cheryl was killed first, followed by her paralyzed mother. I hate that. That would make sense, only, be only because unless he tied them up, if it was sure. one, I'm saying he, even though we don't know yet, if it was one person, obviously you're the one who was like, yeah. in a wheelchair, you right. know, and paralyzed. It seems pretty uh, helpless at that time, you know? And it just breaks my heart because that basically means that Carol was alive, you know, while this was yeah, all going down watch. and her, it, assuming it was her daughter here. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot to deal with here. Um, uh, a fingerprint analyst also testified that Clemente's fingerprint was found on the bloody knife. Crime scene analyst testified that of the 67 shoe prints found, 64 matched the pair of shoes that police had found in Clemente's home. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the others didn't, or rather that the others belonged to someone else. It might have been that they were just too uh, too small of a print or not enough of a print. Um, but nonetheless, a very large majority of them belonged to those same shoes. Well, if I was going to murder someone, I would certainly take John Thrasher's shoes to kill them in. Oh, so yeah. that way it would be blamed on John Thrasher. Well, listen. I, mean, I feel like that's obvious. Welcome to Shaken and Disturbed. That's the point of the show is to give you guys ideas. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, the blood found on the clothing clothing in the bag all belonged to Cheryl and Carol, so this isn't looking good for no. Clemente, I gotta say. A blood analyst testified to the fact that they had examined the pair of bloody shorts found in the bag, and the shorts contained contact blood stains on both front and back. The back of the shorts contained blood spatter, which indicated that they had been stained during the commission of a crime. Some of the most compelling testimony was brought forth by Cheryl's daughter, Samantha, who stated that she had spent the night before the murder with her boyfriend, Mark. And according to Samantha, Clemente had previously been a guest in her home, but had been told he wasn't allowed back after Samantha woke up one night to find Clemente Uh, standing over her bed. uh, My nightmare. This is my nightmare. Nightmare. And can I just add one quick thing? Because not only that, but if I, one of my worst fears, and I, I'm sure there was like some kind of movie or some TV show that freaked me out as a kid, not only someone standing over your bed, but a face in the window. Nope. Nope. Not doing it. Not doing it today, face. John. No. Specifically a witch or an alien. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, now yeah. we're getting crazy. Not a serial killer, Not a serial but, killer but a witch or an alien. If there's a witch okay. or an alien... I don't know what I would, I would just simply pass out. I think it's funny because I think pre pandemic, if I saw someone with a mask on, it would terrify me. Right. But now you're just conditioned <laughs> yes. to see people with masks. So maybe they don't have the same scare effect as they once did. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny. You're saying this actually, because I was, I played uh pickleball the other night outside. It was a little brisk but you know it was one of those nicer evenings so we thought let's try it outside big mistake but i was wearing a giant uh coat i was wearing a face mask when i i went to um to to the grocery store after um giant face mask and i had a beanie on and i walked by or not a beanie but like a winter toboggan hat or whatever I walked yeah. by. Shut up, John. <laughs> what am I Winter talking about? Toboggan hat. Yeah. <laughs> I walked by a mirror or like my reflection or something, and I and I had like a jump scare, because I was like, oh, oh my god, like is that what I look like? It's I like look terrifying. Like, I look like a killer. Right, you could like only Dexter, see this. Like you literally could. <laughs> you could literally only see the the only skin showing was out of my eyes, and I was like, okay, John. Right, this is and a like bit a. Much. Touch of your forehead, probably, yeah, maybe not even it. that. Yeah. Anyway, to to just to say, I, someone standing over your bed, I, I won't yeah, sleep no. well tonight, and I hope that you guys listening get a better night's sleep than I am because I'm gonna think of this when I lay my head down to sleep. So thank you. Well, Clemente testified on his own behalf and stated once again that he had spent the day before the murders off from work drinking with his friends. The group had stayed together drinking until early the next morning, and around 5 a.m. they ran out of beer, at which point Clemente walked over to see if Cheryl would give him some more. When he arrived at her home, Clemente stated he discovered Cheryl's body. Now, according to Clemente, he lifted Cheryl onto his lap to try and wake her up, but she was already dead. And he then began to look through the house. I mean, it's kind of a little weird that he would do that only because, like, there's obviously a lot of blood. Right. You know? And so I could see kind of maybe touching her or saying, like, Cheryl, Cheryl, you know, like over and over and over again. But I don't know about lifting her up. Well, you know, I... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just want to add, like, I'm thinking about, like, what would I do, right, in that scenario? And I think... If it's a family member, maybe, okay, maybe a neighbor, if you know, you're well, good enough friends. But, like, yeah, I would probably, if it was especially somebody, like, I that I'm close, like, my family member, I would run over and, like, pick them up, probably. So, maybe that's yes, not that Yes, but this is a next-door neighbor, yeah, and if yeah. they were stabbed 128 times, I don't know, like. Yeah. 
I know it's weird. It's I don't all know. very. It's weird. hard to say. Yeah. Doesn't prove guilt. Does not prove that's guilt. That's true. I will say that. Now, he then began to look through the house and found Carol's body laying near her wheelchair. However, he also saw the knife where she lay and got scared, fearing that the killer may still be in the house. Clemente stated that he picked up the knife himself and called, Is anybody here? He continued okay. to look through the house, wandering in Samantha's room, which he found ransacked. Now, again, this story could be true. And given the fact that it could be true, it would explain yeah. the bloody clothes and the bloody shoe prints and yes. his fingerprints on the knife. And I will say, I mean, listen, if you're on Clemente's side at this point, I'm a little, I'm convinced that this could happen, you know? Yeah, it could. It's not unlikely. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not Absolutely. Doubt. Especially given that he knew these people beforehand. So there is a right. little more of a connection. Well, at that point, Clemente ran home, dropping the knife on his way. When he arrived home, he immediately... Well, which, by the way, what are your thoughts about that, right? Because he's now... Now he's saying that he dropped the knife on his way home. Like, wouldn't that be a weird thing to do? Well, it seems weird because he's saying that... What's pro- what I have a problem with the story is like, okay, you see the knife next to the wheelchair and you get scared that the killer might be there. So you pick up the knife and say, is anybody here? Like, that's like treating the ghost like in your house where you're like, not today, ghost. Like, Which that's I what do. this feels like. Yeah. Right. I know. And you've said yeah. that like when there's spirits in your house, you're supposed to say like. Cast them off. Yeah. Cast them off. So this feels a little bit like that. Like, right. are you scared? And I guess you can be scared and stay. But I think that if you're trying to say that you're so frightened that you're running out of the house and so haphazardly that you're dropping the knife, then why pick up the knife in the first place and say, is anybody here? Those are two conflicting actions to me. Also, let's put it this way. You're walking into a house. Two of your friends, your neighbors, are dead on the floor. Well, one of them especially, but you think both of them are. Is your first instinct to then find the knife and like, you know, talk about talk out loud to the house? Like, I would imagine right. my first instinct would be to A, see if I can help them, B, run out of the house and call the police immediately. I don't know. This is the problem. Like, I just everybody's gonna react differently. I have to remind myself of that. You know, everyone handles these kind of severe, crazy moments differently. So whatever. Anyway, when he arrived home, he immediately stripped off his bloody clothes, put them in the plastic bag, and took a shower. Clemente testified that he didn't call the authorities because he was in the country illegally and feared being deported. This is absolutely something that happens, so that's not Absolutely. This encourages people not to report because they fear for their own. I mean, I just remember so many signs, even get the COVID vaccine, that it was like, you don't need to be documented to kind of get the vaccine. And like, I just imagine that it's very fearful for a lot of people. Yeah, for a lot of people. I understand. On February 28th, 2006, Clemente was convicted on both of the charges of burglary and first degree murder. The jurors voted seven to five to impose the death penalty for Cheryl's murder and nine to three to impose the death penalty for Carol's murder. At the conclusion of the, which is interesting, right? Because Cheryl's the one who had the hundreds of stab wounds. So that's interesting that less people were voting for that. Um, At the conclusion of sentencing, Clemente rose from his seat and yelled, They're trying to kill me for no reason. I didn't do it. I didn't kill nobody. End quote. The following year in 2007, the fingerprint analyst who testified at Clemente's trial came under scrutiny after a co-worker reported her for making a positive identification on a print that was unreadable. Oh boy, Mm. here we go. Now there's another conversation here about whether or not we should believe these kind of testing facilities and laboratories. And we've 
seen that happen in a lot of places that if, you know, you get the right forensic analyst, right. you know, they can kind of conclude what they want to conclude as right. opposed to concluding what it says. So and like, this is a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. As a result, a number of the analysts' claims came under review. One of these was Clemente's case. The review found that the analyst's determination that Clemente's fingerprint on the knife was incorrect and that mm. the print was also unreadable. So not only was it incorrect, they weren't able to read it to find out whose it was. Right. Clemente's defense team was able to use this review to move for a new trial. However, it was denied by the state. Now, here's the thing. It's incorrect because it's unreadable. Does that mean it's not Clemente's? Right. Like, just because it's saying that it's not definitively him isn't saying that it's not, not him. Not him. Exactly. It just, they can't make a positive match. match to it. Yep. Um, yeah, this happens too much for me. You know what I mean? Like, this just happens. I don't know. But let it me say one last much. thing really quick, because before we jump into the next section here, because... My thing is, I assume, and this is my own ignorance that I'm just realizing as we're talking about it on today's show, that fingerprint analysts, DNA matching, you name it, all these forensic uh, things that we have going on in the world today are like peer reviewed and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like each agency, you know, gets to sign off on it. Uh, is this true? Is it just one person doing the analyzation and then you know, or analysis, excuse me, and then, like, sends it off and nobody double-checks the work? Because it's obviously, I mean, like, I... so the stakes are so high, you know? I, right, and I don't, again, I think this is also where, like, court of public opinion affects a lot of people because I think when you want to find someone guilty, you can easily find them guilty. Yeah. Like, when you go looking for trouble, you're, you're going right. to find it. Right, I agree. You know, like, going through anybody's phone is not going to be good. No matter who that person <laughs> is, you know, it's just like, Nicki Minaj you're asking said this. for it. She was like, don't go through your partner's phone if you are not prepared for the consequences of what you find. It's true, though, because, like, and that doesn't mean that you're cheating. It just yeah. means like, of course, you're going to find you're something that find you don't something. like. You're going to find something. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Right. Of course. Anyway, anyway, in 2009, the Supreme Court upheld Clemente's conviction and death sentences. And in two years later, in 2011, the defense team reached out to the Innocence Project for help with DNA testing over 80 pieces of evidence that had gone untouched during the initial trial. Now, the evidence was processed. And in 2013, Clemente was granted another evidentiary hearing. The fresh evidence findings were presented. And the new evidence definitively excluded Clemente as the source of the DNA found <laughs> at the crime scene. That's crazy. Definitively. By the way. And I got to say here, I'm trusting the Innocence Project because these oh, people yeah. are literally out to help the people. Like they're not in it to create not conclusions. They're not. Their goal is not to put killers on the street. Exactly. Their goal is to put innocent people out of jail. Out of jail. And let's not, let's reverse back here for a second. There were 80, 80 pieces of yeah, evidence right. that had gone untouched why something and then it's like you can get into the mind of all this and like but it's like what is the motive here aside from like right. you know um trying to solve the case for the public you know the public perception of it all but like you're putting innocent people in jail potentially okay let's keep going and there. also what's clemente's motive to kill these people not saying that right all, you know if he's a serial killer has a motive but you'd kind of think if this is 129 times to stab this is not just yeah this that's is right. this is personal it feels personal to me well good point that's true now yeah. samantha's dna however was found to be present in eight locations throughout the home that were consistent mm. with her um 
with her being Cheryl and Carol's killer. Samantha, so of course, being granddaughter. Exactly. Yes. Yes. The daughter and the granddaughter. Now, another crime scene expert was called to testify in Clemente's behalf, this time stating that the blood spatter on the clothing found in the bag was likely created when Clemente had picked up Cheryl, which, oh dear. as we said, probably a stupid move. But that doesn't mean that you killed Cheryl. Of course. In any sort of way. Now, the defense team also presented Samantha's extensive history of mental illness, including the fact that she had been taken to the hospital 60 different times for psychiatric evaluation. 60? Six zero? Wow. To the hospital. And remember, she was the one who said she had, quote unquote, gut feeling about Clemente. Right. And that's really the only thing they went on outside of the fact of his proximity of living near the house. Right. But... Well, she was also saying he was standing over the bed, remember? Well, what if he... Right, well, that's why she had that gut feeling. But what like, if he needed what if to she... use the bathroom and didn't know where it was? Who knows? You know. Or with a psychiatric mental illness, did you imagine well, it? Did true. you was he Was he visiting and he walked by? And he, right, like, right. There's a lot of interpretations here. That's Unfortunately, true. we'll never know the truth. On one occasion in particular, Samantha had been transported to the hospital by police. And during transport, she was recorded stating that her mother and grandmother had died for her. Okay. Samantha testified and denied killing Cheryl and Carol. However, she did admit to having a temper and receiving medical care for her mental illness. Samantha also admitted to having argued with her mother the night before she and her grandmother were killed. Remember, 129 times to me felt very That's personal. right. Very personal. Samantha's boyfriend, Mark, was also called once again to testify. And this time he stated that while he and Samantha had certainly gone to bed together the night before the murders, she was dead to the world and couldn't be sure that she hadn't left. That Excuse me. He was dead to the yes. world, meaning sleeping, yep. and couldn't be sure that she hadn't left during the night. So he was knocked out cold in the sense of sleeping. Right, which <laughs> to me it makes me feel like is it possible that Samantha drugged her boyfriend to get him to oh. sleep so she could go off and do this? Dead to the world? Entirely possible. Do we know that? No idea. But is it possible? Yeah. Yes, it is. Anything is possible with this case. But in 2013, the defense moved for a new trial. The motion was denied, and the defense immediately appealed the decision. Now, why would it be denied with all these circumstances? This is frustrating. While the appeal... Well, you know, so many things are like technicalities True. with this. You know what I mean? Well, while the appeal was pending, the defense was allowed to present new evidence, testimony from four people that Samantha had confessed to them that she had murdered her mother and, and grandmother. One of Samantha's friends, Nicole Casey, even gave testimony that Samantha had admitted to the murders on two separate instances in 2010, a couple years later. Wow. During what, uh, one such instance... One such instance, excuse me, Samantha had cried and made a stabbing motion towards her chest, telling Casey the demons had made her do it. Oh, gosh, this is sad. This is getting, this, this is, is now we're getting into like, this is severe mental illness at this point. Yeah. Three of Samantha's neighbors also presented testimony that Samantha had admitted to the murders to them all separately on different occasions. You do also have to think wow. like, okay, if she is mentally ill... These are things mentally ill people would say, whether they're guilty or not, right? Like, you know, we, we've seen mentally I, ill people. You disagree? I don't know. I'm just saying. No, uh, I'm. To, no, I agree with you. My, I was thinking in my mind when you said three of Samantha's neighbors, mm -hmm. while this whole thing is going on, because like, you know, you're in a neighborhood and this gruesome murder happens to you on the street. Like, yeah. everyone's going to be aware. I mean, if someone got murdered across the street from me in Manhattan where 10,000 people live in the same fucking building, I think I would be aware. And so I'm just curious yeah. as to, like, why there were many years in between when Clemente was kind of tried and then all this stuff, why they didn't come forward with that. 
Well, that's a great point. Or like, who knows if there was evidence, maybe they did interview them, you know, and this was all missing in the evidence. Who really knows exactly what happened in this investigation? There were 80 pieces of untouched untouched evidence. evidence, Yeah, which could be recordings for all we know. Well, in March 2012, Samantha told Christine Larivuso at a barbecue, quote, I'm crazy, I'm evil, and I killed my grandmother and my mother, end quote. In July 2012, Michael Bowman had asked Samantha to leave his property. Samantha had told Michael that she wasn't afraid of him and that she had killed her mom and grandma. So she's really like, she's not hiding any of this, by the way. So no, I'm wondering. No, and it almost feels like she sees remorse for this, like through the clarity of her anxiety when she's, or anxiety, yeah. or through her mental illness yeah. when she's not feeling, let's say, either manic or whatever, that she recognizes that she says, I'm crazy, I'm evil. She knows that she did wrong. She just couldn't help doing the wrong thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Later in 2012, Marianne Larivuso saw Samantha standing in her yard and told her to leave. And Samantha responded, quote, I'm not afraid of you. I killed my mom. I killed my grandma, end quote. So she's literally yelling it from people's yards. Hey, guys, killed my mom, killed my grandma. You know, but like to my point, I think, does that mean she did it or is she just thinking in her head, somebody who's mentally ill, you know, I can say this out loud and it's, you know, who knows exactly what the motivations are for with anybody with mental illness. But, you know, I don't know that just yelling that means that you did it. I'm not saying she's she's innocent, by the way, but no, it's just something to think about when people have mental illness. You can't you can't apply rational logic to all of it the same way you know well anyway in spite of this testimony clemente's new trial motion was once again denied (sighs) i know this is so annoying in october of 2016 the supreme court of florida reversed their decision vacated clemente's convictions and granted him a new trial now the court stated in the ruling quote Adding the newly discovered evidence to the picture changes the focus entirely. No longer is Clemente the creepy figure who appears over Samantha's bed in the middle of the night. He is now the scapegoat for her crimes. When the DNA evidence is considered together with Samantha's numerous unequivocal confessions, the result is reasonable doubt as to Clemente's culpability. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Correct. Now, jury selection for the new trial began in March of 2018, this is just taking so much I was just going to say, I mean, just... we jumped ahead to 2016. That's like four or five years from a lot of this stuff going down. We started talking about you graduating from high school. <laughs> now know. we're in the, the second year of Martinis and Murder. Okay, <laughs> so we're really fucking moving. Good point. Good point. Well, however, the judge declared a mistrial after hearing potential jurors talking amongst themselves about looking up information oh about the case online. Well, thank God the judge was aware, um, paying attention. Yeah. Jury selection began again in October of 2018, and in late October, the defense team received a sworn affidavit from Marks, who was Samantha's former boyfriend, current wife, Nicole. The defense found Nicole after reviewing over a thousand hours of phone calls Mark had made as an inmate of a county jail on an unrelated matter. And Mark had alluded to something during conversations with his wife that led the defense to believe he told her something about Samantha Williams and the murders that he was unwilling to discuss over the phone. Interesting. The affidavit... The affidavit stated that Mark had revealed to Nicole that on the night of the murders, Samantha woke Mark up in the middle of the night claiming that um, she had a bad feeling about her mother. Mark had offered to drive Samantha home, but she insisted she take a taxi. She asked Mark to come by in the morning to pick up some laundry. Okay. Okay. Now, Mark told Nicole that Samantha left that night by climbing out of his bedroom window. Mark had initially told Nicole that Samantha had also... uh, 
Mark had initially told Nicole that Samantha had also been killed by Clemente, but she later found out that Samantha was still alive. Oh, boy. So that's a lot. That's a lot. And that scene, (laughs) climbing through the bedroom window, waking up in the middle of the night to go get a taxi. What's weird is that Mark also claims that he was kind of dead, you know, sleeping, but then he remembers her waking her up. So that doesn't seem to track to me either. So that's very sus. And then Mark telling Nicole that Samantha died. I mean, that's a pretty huge lie. Right, and that it was Clemente that did it. So it feels like both of them are trying to set this up. Yeah, something weird's happening here for sure. And especially if Mark's already been in jail, like what's that about? Well, in the affidavit, Nicole wrote, quote, My memory of the conversations with Mark on these topics is clear, and it is especially clear about Samantha's leaving through the bedroom window of his parents' house during the night of June 16th and 17th, 2004, because Mark said that to me repeatedly and consistently, end quote. So, So there's nothing to... Not, no questions asked there. On November 5th, 2018, based on the new evidence that materially affected the credibility of the state's witness, the prosecution dismissed the charges against Clemente. 38-year-old wow. Clemente was released from prison to the Department of Homeland Security. The defense team filed for asylum on Clemente's behalf. Remember, he's Honduran. Asking the court to declare him a wrongfully convicted person deserving of compensation from the state. I'm hugely for this, by the way. Some states, not all of them, will give up to a million dollars per year of wrongful uh, uh, incarceration. So that's just something to think about. But um, in 2019, the court dismissed the claim, stating that it had been filed too late. Of course. Of course. It's all, it's all the, you know, the court is the judge, jury. The paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the paperwork is what holds everything back, right? Well, Clemente's team is in the process of filing a lawsuit against the state to try and recoup payment for the lost years of Clemente's life, which I believe would have been Florida, right? That's where all this went down. So that's going to be a tough hill to, to climb. But as of 2021, Samantha Williams has never been charged with the murders of Cheryl and Carol. So that's something very important to mention here, that although they were able to determine that Clemente was not involved, uh, she has not been charged. Uh, Samantha has not been charged and um, is not a person of interest as far as we're aware in our research here. The prosecution has continued to hold firm, however, that there is substantial evidence that Clemente is the real killer. I don't know. I mean, this one is one of those things that's like, you know, Darren, I think you touched on it really well, which is like, what is his motivation here? Um, who knows what her motivation could be? I mean, we should, I wonder if they were able to dig deeper into that potentially, but aside from needing beer and, and his own worry about being deported from the country, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would put my, if I was a juror on this case, from what we know from today's episode, I wouldn't find him guilty. I mean, the only thing he could possibly potentially be guilty of, given everything that we know here, is potentially kind of unwittingly tampering with evidence because you yeah. pick up the where the person's lying, and that could obviously affect and the knife. Uh, blood spatter analytics and the knife yeah. and then dropping it. So it's like, okay, tampering with evidence, like maybe that case could be made. Maybe that case could be made. But the fact that Samantha Williams is not even – uh, on the on the radar of everyone, not saying she 100% did it in any sort of way. Yeah. She's innocent until proven guilty. But the fact that the prosecution is still holding firm after the Innocence Project came in on this and kind of said, like, hey, by the way, all this other shit you didn't look at, that they're still holding, 
confirm that Clemente is a real killer, I think just goes to show the where our criminal justice system is at this point. And it's yeah. about um, them not feeling like they want to be wrong. Yeah, and so people have to suffer in jail because they can't admit that they're fucking wrong about these things. So, and the other yeah. thing that comes to mind too is, you know, Samantha stayed at Mark's house, but how often did she do that? You know, I would like to know, like, what, you know, was that every night of the week? Was it one night a week? You know, I think that adds a little bit of interest to that. Uh, yeah, that and how often is she leaving through the fucking through window? Through the window. <laughs> but, uh, obviously, let us know what you think. If you guys have been paying attention to this case, we want to hear from you at Carpe Darren, at Jay Thrasher, and of course, Shaken and Disturbed podcast fans on Facebook. We always want to hear you. Uh, this case is definitely very disturbing just because yeah. of the criminal justice, I think, of the whole thing outside of potentially killing members of your family. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's all very sad. So let's end on a positive note here with some listeners. That's shout right. Outs. It's time for listener shout outs. And I wanted to give a shout out, Darren, to our Facebook group friend, Mark I'm hoping I'm saying her name right. Who said that she finally just got a Facebook account just to join our group. Oh my God. That is dedication. Welcome. That is dedication. So thank you for joining us. Wow. Well, Amy in our Facebook group wrote a really sweet note to us saying, I keep hearing John and Darren say they don't understand how a person can listen to them so much at one time. We still don't. Well, I'm here to say that I love listening to them nonstop while I'm door dashing. They keep my mind from getting lost in my thoughts or my depression. They make me laugh out loud in public so many times. They are so sweet and passionate. And I just adore them. I can't wait to start shaking and disturbed. I hope it's the same atmosphere. Y'all brighten my day more than you'll ever know and keep me entertained while spending hours in my car alone with my thoughts. Thank you for all the laughs, personal moments you share. Well, Amy, thank you for not only listening to Martinis and Murder, but yeah. coming on over to Shaken and Disturbed and writing that really nice uh, thing for us. I'm a big user of DoorDash, so thank Me you too, so much actually. Uh, for doing that. Huge user, and we're glad that we can keep you entertained on your route. That's really that's great, yeah. and we're we're it is the same atmosphere at Martinis and Murder, although maybe a little bit more sussy. Over the, here we're definitely more where... sussy. That's there's no questions asked. It's going to be funny because yeah, I didn't mention we didn't include that part that she was listening to Martinis and Murder first and finishing it up. It's going to be so funny in like 50 episodes when she gets to this and she's like, "Oh my god, they mentioned me." So, hey, I know Amy. it's going to be a while. Hey, Amy, in the future or in the past <laughs> or whatever. Hey, I love that. Well, guys, we want to ask you, have you supported our show on Patreon yet? Because if you haven't, you're missing out. There's bonus videos, episodes, blogs, photos, you name it. It's all happening over there for as little as $5 a month. And you can even save a little bit extra if you subscribe annually. Darren and I, Darren and I were just chatting about something we're working on that's been in the works for a while. You can probably guess what it is. Um, COVID put a stop to a lot of the manufacturers, <laughs> but uh, it's gonna it's gonna it's bring coming. you. It's, it's good. We have some more stuff, fun stuff coming in the weeks right. ahead. So That's make sure right. you sign up if you've been thinking about it. Now is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if any support is obviously very much so welcomed and appreciated. But if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast, that is the gift yes, that keeps please. on giving to us, as I always say. Yes, please. And of course, we couldn't end an episode without thanking Megan. So Darren. One, two, three. Thanks, Thanks Megan. Megan. We love Megan here on the show. Yeah. We love you guys. We do. By the way, if you haven't listened to it, if you skip our NMR episodes, you're going to want to listen to last Thursday's NMR, the most recent one, because we talk about microchipping children. Okay? And we quizzed you guys, and so we're going right. to really dive into that. So if you haven't listened to last week's NMR, definitely do Now's that. the time. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.